Director of Top Gun and Beverly Hills Cop 2. Hello, baby! Clarence? I'm a married man, buddy. <laughs> a con man. Ask him if you got the letter. Did you get the letter? What letter? No time, Tom. We gotta go. A call girl. You cop all day? Huh? I'm out of She four on fire or what? She seems very nice. What are you doing in LA, anyway, huh? And a suitcase full of trouble. My name is Vincent Cocotti. I want this console for Mr. Blue Lou Boyle, the man your son stole from. Now, all that stands between them and their wildest dreams. Find out who this winging a prayer artist is and take him off at the neck. Are 60 cops. 40 agents. He's a wild man, this kid Clarence. I like him. 30 mobsters. I haven't killed anybody. Since 1984. And a few thousand bullets. We're all gonna die here. These are cops! Put it down! Put it down! Put it down! Christian Slater. Patricia Arquette, Dennis Hopper, Val Kilmer, Gary Oldman, Brad Pitt, Christopher Walken. Slow it down, man. In a Tony Scott film. I think what you did, what you did, Not since Barney and Clyde have two people been so good at being bad. True romance. Decent mid-period Aerosmith song. You can do worse. <laughs> that tagline doesn't really work because the whole thing is that they're not good at being bad. I wasn't gonna say anything, but you brought it up, and it is weird. Yes, yeah. I do. I do love how there are so many shots in that trailer that aren't in the actual film. <laughs> there's got you know there's got to be and there was and a lot though you. there's got they got to confuse you a little bit um all right well, welcome, to, <laughs> welcome to movie night extravaganza episode 63 talking about uh tony scott and quentin tarantino's uh you know true romance um early 90s uh tarantino i think or right around the time that reservoir dogs came out his first script that he ever wrote. Of course, I think everybody forgets that, that uh, Quentin Tarantino is also a screenwriter. And I mean, besides his own films, like sometimes he's written films for other people. Like, I mean, uh, Dust Till Dawn is another one. But um, I am joined by, uh, you know, Jay Andrew World, co-host, uh, you know, works on the Give Them an Argument show with Ben Burgess um, <laughs> and uh, illustrator, you know, everything, everything. You already know what it is. Yes, yes, and I, and I have to say, um, I love this fact. We're going to actually break down, you know, the the transition of Tony Scott. Yeah. Mm. Um, Conan okay. Neutron, Platonic <laughs> Reversal, host, uh, Conan Neutron of the Secret Friends, Movie Night Extravaganza, third mic. I don't, or 
I mean, maybe second mic. You guys have to fight it out. Third mic, second mic. It doesn't uh, matter. Looks like I'm in the day. second slot to me. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, happy to be here as always. I forgot how much I love this film, I guess, because I hadn't seen it in a hot minute. So uh, excited to be talking about this one. It's uh, it's 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 great. And we're I saw it in high school, which is maybe the perfect time to see it. Uh, so when it came out, it's you can look past certain uh, flaws. That I'm sure we will get into. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> we're also joined by Ron Purdy, uh, a Wisconsin-based show host, filmmaker, and podcaster, and proprietor of the long-running Ron Purdy Show. Thank you, thank you, thank you. No, 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 no. Keep, no, okay, yeah, no, 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 okay, oh, okay. okay, okay. All right. Uh, yeah, no. This is uh, right. On, I think I mentioned before. This is right underneath Dawn of the Dead from nineteen. 19- oh. oh man, right, right as he was named out as one of the favorite movies. God damn, it's a hell of a way to start a show, people. Yes. Right yeah. as he Dawn of the Dead. You know the Zack Snyder one, the clearly superior one. I think that's yes, what he was yes. about to say, right? Yes. I think Imagine we can all so. agree. <laughs> well, yeah. oh, here man. we are with, he's, the, he's, uh, with, the, he's with a portrait of Ron Perti. Just uh, talking, <laughs> talking about a movie here. So um, I guess I guess uh, starting this um, this conversation off. Uh, so Reservoir Dogs was 92, right? So this, this comes out like a year after Reservoir Dogs. Because I know that Pulp Fiction was 94. Um. Reservoir Dogs might have been ninety one or ninety two. I can't. I can't remember off the top of my head. But um, yeah. So this is this is uh, <laughs> some, 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 some scintillating streaming going on here. All right. Oh, so well. So Rob uh, back after these messages. <laughs> no. So so this is this is Tarantino's. I guess technically second movie, right? Like he comes out of the gate going hard with uh, Reservoir Dogs, and then this movie, I guess, is the first script that he ever finished. And then it took a long time, I think, to turn it into a movie and to have somebody, you know, picked out that wanted to do it. But this is a script that he worked on over a number of years. And, um, you know, now he's kind of like the the master of like the screenwriting 101 seminar, I feel like, because uh, he, he teaches a lot of those. And uh, so it's it's interesting that this is like the first one that he ever completed, because he said that he, he had worked on 35, like for 40 scripts that he just never like he would start it and be like, Oh, that's a good idea for a project. Let me write this. And he would start like the first, you know, the first uh, 30 or 40 pages of it, like the first act pretty much. And uh, just like give up on it and be like, Oh, I have, I have this other idea. So he was, which is something that I did um, as a kid all the fucking time. Like I wanted to be a screenwriter and I would start writing something. And then you have a million ideas for other things. And you're like, why am I working on this? This idea is so much better. And you end up kind of like shooting yourself in the foot. Cause you never actually complete anything. So, um, the first, uh, the first 25 minutes of the, uh, when he's talking on the, the, um, you know, he gives like his director or his screenwriters like uh, audio cut or whatever. And so when he's talking over that, he, um, he was talking about how many scripts that he actually worked on that he never completed and how many ideas that he had. And obviously Tarantino has so many ideas and characters that he just kind of shoehorns into every single movie that he does. So to like, think about how many he must've come up with before completing a, a script that already has like, dozens of characters that just kind of get like one or two lines and get shoehorned into this uh entire thing yes agreed uh i i think uh, also one of the notable things is uh gary oldman is in this as uh, james franco's dad from uh, spring breakers <laughs> essentially <laughs> yes Mr. which Franco. i had forgotten about completely by the way I, I was i was like gary oldman's in this film i forgot about that i didn't know it was white boy day white boy summer white boy white boy day um now now these days we have a whole summer for white boys we sure do (laughs) but so this is so this is a tarantino 
from Tarantino talking about the process of writing this. And um, apparently this is the movie that he, mo he feels like is most inspired by himself, which is a funny thing to say, I guess, the character. I mean, it makes sense because he originally had started working in a, in a video store and stuff like that. So I think that's the part he's talking about. But when yeah, he's talking yeah, about it's like, like yeah. it's also like, like an Elmore Leonard novel. I, I mean, it's really the closest thing he ever got to Elmore Leonard. And, and I'd say even more so than Jackie Brown, which is actually based on Elmore Leonard. Novel. Yeah. <laughs> all right there's actually a second part to this scene which i have no idea whether or not tony ever filmed or not um but it's uh he asked uh alabama these questions about herself all right which is actually pretty much taken from the, um the playboy centerfold uh questionnaire um uh, I mean, he even says, uh, what are your turn-ons, what are your turn-offs, that kind of thing. And um, uh, and then at the end of this scene in the script, and it seems really crazy, all right? so I have no problem by Tony dropping it off. But, is he, uh, but she proceeds to tell a story of how she doesn't know who she is, and she got hit by amnesia, and she's been walking, <laughs> wandering the streets without a memory. <laughs> And uh, she's just bullshitting him, all right, you know, and Clarence catches that he's bullshitting her and like they tease. But I was like, that's the way the scene initially ended. But one thing is kind of funny is uh, it was about like six years after I wrote it that the film got made. And so when you listen to her answers to the questions, a little of them seem kind of like cool and retro. But when she, but when I wrote it, they weren't cool and retro. They were literally, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, she, he says, what's your favorite, uh, who's your favorite actor? And she says, Burt Reynolds. All right. Well, Burt Reynolds was a big star when I wrote this script. <laughs> you know, uh, he was a, a star of the people. So it wasn't like this, like she was like being all cool and retro. All right. And the second thing he asked her, uh, well, one of the other things he asked her is like, you know, who do you find sexy? And she says, Mickey Rourke. All right. Well, Mickey Rourke was the man when I wrote this script. So again, that wasn't crazy either. Um, now. The thing about True Romance is it's the closest thing. It's the most autobiographical film that I that I that I've ever wrote. I mean, all my stuff that I've done, you know, is you know, I'm all over it. And I've always, you know, sometimes people will I don't know, I don't know what people say, but the thing is my my scripts are, are I'm all over my scripts, and especially if you know me, you read them and you see it. And um I always feel that as a writer, you should almost when you finish a piece of work you should almost be embarrassed by it a little bit because you were just uh, revealing yourself. All right, uh, the people read it and they're gonna know too much about you. I think if your writing's gonna have anything, that should be the case. But just like, you know, many first-time novelists and, you know, some first-time screenwriters, uh, uh, my first script was about me, all right? And, Year, now I look at now I look at true romance. Now, I you know I've always felt this way, but it, it, this is a situation where it's gotten deeper and deeper and deeper for me. Is when I look at true romance, I'm incredibly moved by my perception of myself, as, of Clarence, because hmm. I'm sorry. Did he just compare himself to Clarence Worley? He yeah, he, he said he said it was autobiographical. I'm calling bullshit. I'm calling such bullshit. Oh wow! I you know I am not a fan of the Hateful Eight, 
at all. Hmm. Like, I think it is abysmal in my eyes. Hmm. This, but again, that's just my thoughts. Um, I disagree, but, but go on. I want to know. I want to hear where, where but you Now, where those, com- those comments might be the worst thing he's ever done. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's a that's a bold statement to 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 be like, oh yeah, that's basically me. And it's like, mm, is it though? Really? I once wore a shirt like Clarence wears out, yeah. and someone recognized it and said, "Oh, a true romance." I'm like, yeah, and I was like, Can we be friends? And they said no because, and I knew because I wasn't cool <laughs> enough. So I mean, for him to, and then and then it's like every time he talks, right? Yeah. Right. All right. All right. All right. All right. All right. Like it's almost like he's about to have some kind of a seizure. Yeah. He's on the verge of it. Yeah. yeah I remember. Know. I remember a long time ago. Um, there was some some Muppet movie. He he comes in for a cameo, and they're in the middle of the thing, and he stops what? it, and he's for like, "Real? Yeah, that, and that's a real thing. This yeah, is and, he's, and it's like it's like Muppet Wizard of Oz or something. It's like one of the stupid ones that came later." And he comes in for a cameo, and he just starts explaining, like, and then what I thought for this movie is, and he's, like, just pitching it, but he's doing, like, a really over-the-top version of himself. It's like, you know, and then. And he has, like, this big board, and he's explaining, like, every single, like, violent thing that's about to happen. (laughs) And he's like, and then she grabs a samurai sword and just starts chopping. (laughs) (laughs) Well. Okay, so all right, I don't know what to do with that, but I will say that I I think that uh, on rewatch because I saw this movie a lot back in the day, and I actually saw it when I came out, which I was in high school at the time, and I think that there are certain things you see as an adult, like the whole beginning piece of it. I actually really like like the, the lead up to it. I think it's kind of sweet, but it's also sort of like, mm, all right, sure. Like it seems like sort of like yeah really it, that's 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 how it went down all right all right like it seems a little bit too perfect and so then it makes sense right that um, Alabama's was put up to it to a certain degree and so yeah. like as a adult you're like ah that explains it but that's it I actually kind of got carried away with the sweetness of it this time I'm like you know what that is like really cool that that's awesome that like that that would happen in that way like it's kind of like got a nice uh, a nice feel. And it's it's something that I don't think you see a lot in movies anymore. Everyone's always impossibly cool, perfect looking, and like it's it, everything has got to be a quote unquote meet cute now, which means it fits a spe- specific set of criteria, and it's very narrow cast. It appeals to everyone, and therefore is for nobody. That's why they yeah, need to mean, cast more people like me that look like me. <laughs> yeah, so cast Ron. Perdue. No, but I, yeah. I, it's just it, you know. <laughs> It, it does feel like it's a little bit, I mean, it too perfect with, with her, you know, the whole thing. And she's like, oh, I, I definitely want to go watch these three Kung Fu movies in a row with you. Definitely. Let's go do that. And like, you know, everything does line up perfectly. And then she's not there when he wakes up and you're like, yeah. oh, all right. Like that, that explains it. But then when she's on the, um, you know, on the balcony and then is like, listen, I need to tell you this. This is my third day being a, being a prostitute, you know, and, and I'm, I'm in love with you. I fell in love with you. I've only done this. Terrible at her job, apparently. Yeah. Just like the worst. Yeah. I don't know. That's when I'm like, that's when I'm like, all right. Like that's, 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 you know, that, that's a whole different set of like things just line up. They're like, listen, I was hired by your boss. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a prostitute, but I love you. And I want to, I want to marry you. Let's get married right now. And if you don't love me, then I look like a fool. And you're like, all right, like I, I guess, I guess let's let's go along with this. That that makes me think though. It's like okay, first off, T- if Tarantino wrote this autobiographically. He has a magic penis because he makes women fall in love with him immediately. <laughs> yeah. And second of all, what person who owns a comic book store can afford a hooker? 
This was during the bubble, so let's be fair. You know, <laughs> I mean, no, ninety three is when things started falling apart. Where's yeah, the comic? After ninety three, but but it was eighty three was the beginnings of it. But he wrote this it's, earlier it's, on. It's comic, it's comic book guy that hires like, worst hooker ever. I don't know if somebody gave me Patricia Arquette for a night, I would not be uh, kicking around a bed for eating crackers. I. Yes. Uh, I, I also think that uh, I, I don't want to blast past it because it's the very beginning, but like when he's before the dalliance with uh, Patricia Arquette and meeting in the movie theater, he tries to entice the woman in the bar to go see, you know, the movie. And I find it so amazing. It's like, you want, you, know, was, you want me to go see a Kung Fu film with you? No, I want you to see three Kung Fu films with yeah. me. <laughs> it's like, that is like, yeah, Quentin Tarantino wrote this all night. Yep. Yeah, let's sweeten the pot. There's not just one Sunny yeah. Chiba movie. There's no, you're three. Gonna, you're going to endure all three of these with me because that's my idea of a good time. And I fuck Elvis. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I, I, how can I drop the lead on that one? That's a, yeah, that's a, a classic. Yeah, that was the whole thing before it. Right. Yeah. But yeah, I, I do, I, I do I, like... that's the one that made me laugh the, the, the loudest at the beginning. It was like, no, I want you to watch three of them with me. Oh, okay. All right. I really, I really like that the two first movies that Tarantino does. I mean, you know, first it's the whole Madonna scene in uh in, in Reservoir Dogs where they're talking about like a virgin around the table because you know that's what yeah. all these gangsters talk about and like getting really just really heated about the whole uh like Animated, what like yeah. a virgin means. And then the second one is I'd fuck Elvis, and that's his second, you know, that's his second <laughs> second time he dropped it. Hey, hey apparently he didn't know he was gonna get made. Whole... He has gotta get it in somewhere, right? Yeah. There's more to the whole Samuel Jackson uh eating pussy scene because uh uh, th they had to cut it because it, uh, the MPA is like, no, no, you can't have that. That's rated <laughs> X now. Wait, so wait, so basically, what you guys are saying is Quentin Tarantino is a star fucker. <laughs> I'll take your silence as a yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I, I, yeah, I mean, like, so, so, and that's, but let, let's think about what was happening at the time, right? This is back when you know Tipper Gore was was. Uh, you know, in full force, buying purple rain for her kid, like an <laughs> idiot. <laughs> and, and, uh, you know, there's only so much, uh, so much that was allowed before. When did they, when did they debut the X rating? Was that, uh, that was, I feel like that was around this time. They, they was like, I should know these things. I watched on a porn hub. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh God, it was, it, I think it was around that time. Cause it I is, know it's early 90s, PG 13, right? PG 13 was for last crusade, right? Or not last crusade, uh, temple of doom, or was it gremlins? It was temple of doom. I think, I, I think, I think gremlins inspired the need for it, but, but it was temple of doom that had the first, yeah, it was George Lucas's divorce movie that made us get the PG 13. <laughs> yes. If he stayed married, we would never have PG 13. I'm okay with that. <laughs> apparently, the, apparently the X rating started in in 1968. Oh, but, oh, oh, well, really? Okay. The first two decades. <laughs> Maybe you're thinking NC 17. I'm thinking of NC 17. Oh. My bad, y'all. Yeah, yeah. We were get the error. 1990. So yeah. <laughs> so when did wait? Yeah. When did Tarantino like? I know he because he also wrote. Obviously, we didn't see a good hunk of it on screen, but he also wrote Natural Born Killers, right? So is he also yeah. think he's he's uh you know Mickey Knox? Maybe I don't. That's know. more him than Clarence Worley is. Yeah, yeah. Well, well you know, I, I think also like, like the whole opening part of the movie was actually told later as a flashback. So, so you know, um, if it was done the the way it was written, those scenes would be more like an unreliable narrator. Like, oh, this is how I'm going to tell the story of my life. Yeah, and this is how I picture myself. 
Um, yeah, no, that that it would it would have been in like the second the second act or something would have been because he wrote it he wrote he did the same thing kind of he did with uh with Pulp Fiction where he took the, the like the three chunks of the movie and he like he mixed them around so you'd be kind of hearing the story of what was happening in the second act and then the third act is when they actually do like when they actually go to the hotel and there's a whole standoff and everything but that doesn't come up till you know you like you you hit the point where the movie's already going he's uh you see him in the beginning with Christopher Walken. And he's explaining, um, I had a thing where he explained it, but it's like a five minute clip and I don't really want to play a five minute clip of Tarantino explaining this. So oh. you, would, you would start off with, uh, <laughs> with, uh, Christopher Walken explaining to Dennis Hopper what happened. And he'd be saying, you know, your son came in there and he was, you know, like a cowboy shooting and you know what I mean? And then it would go on from there. And then you'd kind of find out backwards, uh, what was going on and decide whether or not you trusted these characters, uh, rendition of it. Makes me so glad Tony Scott directed. <laughs> yeah, I think it would have been. It would have been a very different kind of movie. And I say that, I mean, I love Reservoir Dogs. I think Reservoir Dogs is great. I actually, I don't think, I don't think there's any Quentin Tarantino movie I don't at least like, if not really like or love. I think. Uh, but that said, I fully get it when people are not into it. I fully get when people don't like the style. Uh, I feel when people think it's hacky, when he, I mean, his homages do verge on the ripoff and I and I get that, but it, I, I feel like he's good enough that it is an homage and not a ripoff. I yeah, mean, even look at like Kill Bill, right? I mean, what uh, what's the what's the movie that uh, I can't remember the name of it right now, but like whatever. Like there, there there's a there's a movie that's like once I found that movie, I'm like, oh, you were like, how about that? But like my friend Uma Thurman instead. Cool. Mm -hmm. Well, I and I think that he kind of sees sees and thinks in movies, like you know, and he's constantly referencing. He, he's like an encyclopedia of film, basically. Yeah, like for better it, or for worse, like the guy like loves movies, right? It, it reminds me of uh, a little bit of um uh community with the with the the, the character that in the community i think ahmed or whatever that's like ahmed yeah yeah, oh, that, yeah. that he, everything has to be like the only way that he can relate to people is to do it through movies like that kind of reminds me of who tarantino is uh, or uh what, what were the star trek characters they could only speak in metaphor uh <laughs> the, the, like they they Andy, oh yeah yeah like harold <laughs> and kumar go to the white castle <laughs> right exactly and that would be like to go on a quest for a thing right yeah yeah like, yeah <laughs> Uh, I forgot the whole thing, like Jamal and at Cathargra or whatever. And it's like, yeah, right. and, and they're yeah. like, what are these, what are these dudes on about? And then it's like, oh, they only speak about, they're they're trying to communicate what they want to communicate, but they're doing it through uh, like this simile and, and metaphor for stories that they know, and nobody has those frame of reference, and nobody knows what the hell they're talking about, <laughs> which is quite a bit like some episodes of this show. <laughs> um, so a perfect, so I think a perfect example of this though is uh. I have I have Tarantino talking about how he came up with the Doctor Zavago um, reference when it's the, the the cocaine and like he's trying to explain it on the phone and he ends up referencing it through that and he's explaining like how he came up with that so I think that that's an interesting uh, place to start with or an example of of like how he comes up with those ideas. Take a drink every time he sniffs people. <laughs> this, this camouflage drug talk that they're having on on, uh, on the phone here it's uh i think this is actually really clarence just being clarence you know at his uh, at his ultimate kid you know has no experience but he has all the he has you know moxie all right yeah uh, uh and he's clever and you know and he doesn't know anything about hollywood but he knows everything about you know film like as far as a film geek's concerned so we can you know just through, through sheer moxie he can talk the talk all right and and gets to where he's going just through his uh um personality and initiative and cleverness on the spot and 
I really think, really, the whole referring to cocaine as Dr. Shivago is, is one of my more favorite. It tickles me constantly. And whenever I see it again, I just laugh again. I think it's one of the more clever things I've done, all right? Because it's just, you know, they're talking about a movie. But, you know, when you think about Dr. Shivago, the first thing that comes to your mind is just blankets of snow. So I thought that was pretty clever. Three. That was three. Four. Did, was there four? I, the one was there like on the cusp, so I didn't count that one. But at least three. East and and taking a deep breath at the same time, so yeah. could have gone either way. That that last one was, that was the a most dramatic though. It was a one minute clip, so look, good lord, I'm I'm glad we didn't do that for a longer clip. I wonder. I want. I really want to know how much cocaine this man's done. I I actually do agree that or or it could just be Slavo Zizak. Yeah. Um. The where's that mashup? Don't do it right now. <laughs> Uh, I agree. I think well, that's you. a great scene. And so on. <laughs> you can do Zizak as Quentin Tarantino and then Tarantino as Zizak. You, as you know, I eat, I eat from the, the trash can of ideology. I eat from the trash can of pussy. <laughs> <laughs> it's and very so clear on. that this is a dude's only show right now. Uh, yeah, anyway. Um, I agree. I think it, like, that's a good that's a good scene because they're like, oh, well, if Doctor Zavago opens, you know, the audiences are going to be packing it. Like, like it's because of course they're going to be like speaking in code. I, th I I do think that's clever. I, I agree with him. When, no, I mean it is, he, it is when clever. he thought he was clever, I agreed with him that he was clever. Yeah. Um, I do I do think it's clever, but it's interesting that like it's film that he really you know is the only thing that he's really able to reference. So like it calls back to the same thing, I guess where um. You know, it's like Tarantino's mind kind of comes up with this thing. And it's like, well, let's use some drug code. What can we do? Oh, movies. Everybody knows about movies. I'm talking to a film producer. Let's mention uh, Dr. Trivago. Everybody knows that there's snow in that movie. And it's like, all right. Does everyone know that? Yeah. I mean, I don't know that. I'll be honest. I've never seen Dr. Trivago because, and that's the thing. It's like, I've never seen the Lord of the Rings movies. And I actually got into it. I saw that look. I've I got into an argument with someone because they just started shitting all over True Romance, but they love the Lord of the Rings movies. And it's like, and he's like, "Well, you can't. You haven't seen them. You can't form an opinion." I'm like, "You're right. I can't because I just don't care." You know, and that's the way it is with me with a lot of films. If I if it doesn't if I don't want to see it, I'm not going to form an opinion because I just don't give a shit. That's you how know. I feel about uh, Titanic. That's how I feel about. Oh man, I could I, the list goes. It's like a scroll that goes down onto the floor, rolls into the next room, so on and so on. Like Celine Dion's <laughs> Hall, this show list on. will go on. Well, my my dad actually took me to see Titanic as it was closing down when there was only like a half a theater full. As oh, opposed to ship visible. You're yeah, and, and so after it hit that iceberg, you're saying. Well, no, yeah. I'm talking. Well, 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 I haven't seen it. <laughs> so so as the as the as the ship is going down, my dad and I, being the assholes that we are, stood up and started applauding once we knew everyone was going to die. We were just so happy because we were sick and tired of all the bullshit. Like we were cheering for Billy Zane to win. And it was, you know, actively because I just because because Leonardo DiCaprio is not his character is not from Wisconsin. I don't give a shit. He is there's no way he's from Wisconsin. Doesn't say don't you know once. <laughs> <laughs> so so these these people on the internet, Ron, that you were apparently engaging with, we will charitably say they they claimed that true romance was bad, but Lord of the Rings was good. And those are oh, this was on over the phone. This wasn't even over the internet. So it's oh. somebody I actually know. 
This is a telemarketer, actually. It was a very engaging. Yeah, actually, it, it was very weird. They asked me, they wanted to talk to me about my car's extended warranty, and I said, <laughs> I, I have a pink one, and it's a Cadillac. And they said, is this Clarence Worley? And I was like, no, this is Quentin Tarantino. Because, okay, 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 all right, all right. Because I'm I'm actually the character in the movie, you see? So I wrote that, and it was like, it's me. So, you know, and I'm very cunning, just like he is, and quick-witted, and, and yeah, okay, all right, all right, okay. I, I've I've fallen in love with every single prostitute I've ever met. All right, um, <laughs> I tried to get them to go across the country. They wouldn't, but uh, one day, one day. All right, <laughs> get the right shirt. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, so well, let's talk about Christian Slater, right? Like this is a good character for him. I think this is up there with Pump Up the Volume and Heather's as far as his best roles, mm -hmm. personally. And he, like, and I think he he's, he's disappeared. Like, what is he? Has he been in stuff? He's Mr. Mr. Robot. Robot. Yeah, he, yeah, he's the character of Mr. Robot's great. Well, he, like, he did kind of disappear for a bit, but he also did go into directing. Um, uh, he kind of had he was an archer as himself as well, a yeah, like, yeah, CIA yeah, no, agent, I mean, he didn't which is amazing. Disappear, but he was like, also he, in uh, he was also in Curb Your Enthusiasm as himself. Yeah. And he, exactly. he but he did kind of take a little step back from being a star, and and he he yeah, but right. he's also been directing a lot too. Uh, he he directs a lot of television, and um, apparently he he's he's uh, like. The, the crews love him because he, he actually goes and introduces himself to every single crew member before they start. So, I am so, Christian Bale. Remember me? <laughs> <laughs> I really want to be Jack Nicholson. I, I was going to say pump up the volume is basically his Jack Nicholson impersonation, like writ large with radio, but like, I still like it. And of course I do. It's a, I'm a freaking broadcaster. Of course I like it. It's, it's the law. <laughs> it's the law people. But I, I think Christian Slater is like, He's good, like and like I, I do agree that he did kind of like disappear as far as being a leading man. And this is like one of his most leading man, leading man roles for sure. I mean, like he's kind of like supposed to be this invincible, not invincible, but like you know, big tough guy. Like you know, oh, he's going doing all this stuff, and it's sort of like okay. <laughs> well, Patricia Arquette kind of vanished too after this until Boyhood. And hey, you know what was great about yeah. Boyhood is it took twelve years to make. Did you know that? <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah. I think I heard that somewhere. I like uh, it, but I get it when people don't. No, uh, I, I liked her parts, but then again, I have a weird obsession with Patricia Arquette. So that's weird. No, like <laughs> I always refer to her as my next ex-wife, and I haven't had my first ex-wife. So. Yeah, you're right. That is weird. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. Well, I mean, Lost Highway. She's great in Lost Highway. I mean, I've only seen that once and it confused the crap out of me because, well, I mean, <laughs> let's be real here. We all know why. Um, but what about uh, stigmata, though? Um, it's been a long, long time. It's got a killer soundtrack. You know, that's that's a yeah, I like Lost Highway. I, I mean, it, <laughs> Both have I like Lost Highway. I have an arrangement no. on it on my desk behind me. Oh, a shocking <laughs> fucking development, right? Um, yeah, I, but she, I mean, she did like you know, flirting with disaster, right? She did um, uh, what was the Gondry movie? Um, Human but nothing Nature? like this this big though. You know what I mean? I, that's right, what I'm right, right. That, that's, right yeah. that, that's a good point. Good point. But yeah. something yeah, something that I like about this uh, about her character in this though is that you really like you can't clock her for most of the movie. Like you, you know what I mean? Like, because it seems like, you know, she goes along with it and she really wants to get out of that life. Right. She wants to like not be a sex worker anymore. She's apparently done it for three days. I mean, you know, as long as you, which makes more sense when you look at it as like uh, the story is being told to you after the, like after the fact you have to decide whether you like believe it or not, because that makes it kind of a lot, it makes it make a lot more sense. If um, I think if you're seeing it and you have to decide whether you're being told the story by a reliable narrator, but um, 
yeah it, it just um I, I feel like a lot of the movie i kind of am not it's like kind of suspicious like she goes along with this really easily and then you know he just kind of kills multiple people and she's like oh that's so romantic and they kind of take off together and then you kind of uh she kind of reaches her her crescendo i guess in the you know the, the long scene with james gandolfini so and, um, such a good scene yeah Oh, I got a lot to say about that one, but I've been talking a lot. So, uh, Andy, you you want to you want to chime in in this episode? Yeah, no, it's it's it's, uh, <laughs> it's actually kind of interesting because because uh, one of the things I, I like about this is that um, you know one of uh, Elmer Leonard's tropes is uh, a lot of his books take place in Detroit. So so um, this set you know setting in Detroit made it seem like oh oh Quentin Tarantino is just homaging Elmer Leonard like like you know he homages everything else. Um, and, and, and kind of goes from there and, and you know it's it's kind of you know does hit a lot of those uh uh you know some i should say of elmer leonard's uh tropes because because uh la is not a uh you know the part of the country elmer leonard writes about uh, very often um it, he usually it's it's either florida or detroit and sometimes oklahoma but uh oh, all the all the best all the best places in the u.s <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. That's a snippet of the Elmore Leonard show with Justice Andrew World. <laughs> Justice Fied. But, but just, so, Justice Fied. <laughs> but I don't know. I don't know how you guys, how you guys, or whether you guys agree with that, with the statement that I made at the, like, you know, at the beginning of this part of the conversation, which is like, it feels like you're kind of feeling her out for a lot of the, the movie. Like, it, you know, like she. It, you're not you're not quite sure what her deal is or whether she's trustworthy or you know whether she's just kind of gonna bail on 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 you know christian slater uh, you know clarence as soon as she can or like you know because it just happens really fast and she just kind of goes along with it and you know it seems like she uses her sexuality throughout a lot of the movie and like her cuteness or like attractiveness to um kind of like you know make sure that things are fine and good like it worked on me <laughs> but especially like with with that james gandolfini scene like the first thing yeah. she does is she's kind of being cute and she's like, yeah, I know I'm kind of like cute and I'm pretty and I can kind of just like flirt my way through this and maybe he'll go away. And of course it doesn't work because he knows exactly who she is. Um, but, you know, she kind of obviously has that animalistic moment when she kills J James Gandolfini's character. Um, you know, Virgil, I guess is his name. In this, which, which I feel is earned. I feel it's very earned. Uh, yeah. And, and for us, I don't want to, if you had more for that, I don't want to interrupt you, but I will say that there are two things that kind of like hard stopped on me uh, for this film on this rewatch. We all know what the second one is, but the first one is like, I was like, wow, that was a brutal beating that Patricia Arquette gets in. Like it is like unflinchingly brutal, like to the point of like, this is, this is like harsh. It's almost as uncomfortable to watch as the Dennis Hopper. That's the other uh, one. Yeah, Christopher Walken scene. I have uh, I have Tarantino clips for both of them. I don't know if you want. And, to and there and there's the the uh, way we bring up that scene. Yeah, I was gonna say we we, yeah. have, we have to bring it up. I mean, I do. I honestly think we should bring both of them up because I think you know, uh, you know, it's not like domestic abuse is, is uh, it's aged well either. But like, like I had forgotten, and I'm saying this. I, look, I remember how this film ends. It's like the standoff is amazing. It's a it's a brutal movie. It's a bloody it's even movie in the trailer. Movie. It's even in the goddamn trailer, but like that beating that James Gandolfini character uh, does. Oh, yeah. The first time I saw this movie was Hard edited for television, so like they trim that down. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like a ten minute movie. It's just about some kids who fall in love and go to L.A. It's great. <laughs> oh yeah, I think you know Samuel Jackson's not even. And in they the meet Doctor Trivago. Yeah, yeah. You talk about Doctor Trivago, and everyone's a good time. <laughs> and they go on a on a roller coaster. 
it's, it's a fun time family movie. Anyway, and yeah. then Balky throws up. <laughs> Balky. Which, which fun fact? Balky throws uh, up a lot. Yeah, you're right. uh, when they when they uh, first made this movie, um, they were they were still making Perfect Strangers, and um, uh, Bronson Pinchot had the script, and he was reading the script in Balky's voice. So he's playing like all the characters as Balky. As one does. Which, where's, which where's, you know, we're no cousin Clarence. <laughs> just ha have him do a commentary track where he just read, he replaces all the dialogue as Belky, but doing different yeah. voices. Oh my God. Like, like, where's that version of the movie? All right. Uh, so, this is, so this is Tarantino. Internet, get on it. Uh, this is Tarantino talking about the Gandolfini beating scene. And not the person who should probably be talking about this. You know what I mean? Yes, but, you know, probably not. Uh, I, I listened to the entire writer's commentary. So, there you go. All right. Well, we're, so are we, apparently. Anybody who's a fan of the movie can tell you the title True Romance is not ironic. You know, I don't really, you know, half the things that people uh, um, attribute when it comes to my work as irony, they're wrong. I mean it. I'm not being ironic. I mean it. They may be too cool to, you know, mean it, so they write an irony, but I meant it. All right. And, to, you know, the title True Romance, this is... True romance. And to me, this scene, not this scene, but uh, um, uh, the scene when he, uh, uh, Virgil, played by James Gandolfini, is beating the shit out of Alabama is uh, the most romantic scene in the movie. You know, she's, you know, she doesn't tell. Uh, she doesn't tell on Clarence. She, uh, you know, she keeps her mouth shut. She, she takes the beating and, and you know, uh, uh, and, you know, faces death for him you know again that's the uh that's the whole uh, girl is your pal thing and it's 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 funny because when you look at the, when you uh they added back to the laser disc and the dvd the european version of the film which has the entire beating of alabama which was cut to almost nothing all right in the american release version of the film and uh it's funny it's one of those things where like when you saw the american release version of the movie it didn't bother you because you were just so caught up in the movie but it's just so much better when you see the whole film and uh and you know you see what she has to go through oddly enough the mpaa when it came to the uh, um probably duplicating some things that tony might have said when the mpaa did um uh you know took their scissors to the fight scene the thing that they objected to the most was not the beating of Alabama, but it was Alabama fighting back, which is very strange. All right. Um, you know, she gets the shotgun and just completely goes off on uh, um, on Virgil and then like stands, uh, straddles him and sits over him and just starts pumping um uh uh shotgun shells into his body and like screaming and yelling the mpaa literally said okay you got to get rid of that i just can't deal with that and they go well, why she's fighting back it, you know she's the hero and, goes, and they were like well it's because she becomes an animal uh i mean it, i mean it, i mean it was it got to the point of actual story content that they were trying to eliminate they were elim trying, literally eliminating story content that is jacked up to use the parlance of our times uh, because I feel like that's a very earned reaction and like
Yeah. That's maybe the only thing that makes it potentially redeeming is the, the fact that she she gets his ass. Well, I, I think that it is the, the whole scene's redeeming because it's showing kind of, and it's showing the most brutal way possible, but it's really showing that she cares about um, Clarence and she's not going to give him up. And she actually does have like a spine and she is, you know, um, like just as strong a character as he is. And I, and I do feel like that's kind of a beautiful thing to realize. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's not just like, oh, Clarence is going around and she's like a damsel in distress being like, oh, I need you to, you know, kill my pimp. And he goes around, and he kills the pimp and, you know what I mean? Like it, it shows like these are not just these are two kids that are badass that are able to, you know, break through that and actually fight back. And they're in this together. Yeah. And I don't feel like you get that from her up until that point. So I feel like at that moment, you're like, oh, shit, she's in this for real. It, I mean, it's a hard way to fucking find that out. Yeah, like, it's a hard. It's a hard. Also, another I'm if we're keep, gonna keep watching these Quentin Tarantino clips, I'm gonna keep up with a bit. I'm gonna need another bottle, by the way. But uh, <laughs> I think. Right? <laughs> but only, I think I think you're onto something. The only other one I'll play with him with him doing the thing because I want to yeah, play. It's, it's fine. I, I'm, no, but not the, in and of itself I'm finding it hard to take now that you said that though because listening through it, like I had it on kind of a, a low. No, I mean the breathing in thing. I didn't really yeah, notice as much that I was listening kind of on a low volume, and now that and, and I jacked up the volume for this because I um I put it through audition, so it really like has the the breathing as like a, a central part. So now I can't stop hearing it. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, he, he has this weird breathing tick, but he makes kick-ass movies. So, like, whatever. Like, it's 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 fine. Uh, but he's not acting like uh, Dusty turns on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I think I think that is a good point because, like, because Alabama's kind of inscrutable for a lot of this, and you're sort of. And I think it is a good point. You're like, oh, like, what's her deal, really? Like, is she? Is there just not much there? You know, like, is she grifting him? Like, are they actually truly? And like, that's. I didn't. So I will say this, when I watched it this time and I watched it for the first time, I don't think I ever had any doubt that they were like, oh, no, they clearly are like head over heels with each other. And for very different reasons, um, I kind of got into it that way. I seem to remember when I watched it for the first time, I remember I thought I remember the trip to L.A. being longer, whatever, like they did more stuff and had more hijinks or, or whatnot. But like, you know, ultimately, like it amounts to the same. Like, it's very clear that they, they you know, it, it's one of the reasons I apparently like Quentin Tarantino is for all his foibles and uh, characteristic traits. He's a pretty sincere dude. Like it, it's, it's like right there. Now you can be on board for it or not. And people that aren't love to tell you about it, but he's a pretty sincere dude. And it's just, you have to understand the lens to which he sees it in. And I, and I, I think that there's something there for me with that. I, I think also, though, that I mean, and this is where probably Andy can and kind of cut in with stuff. But I think there's a difference between this being a, a Tony Scott movie, you know, who kind of is better at, at, at that style of like, you know, I, I don't think that this movie with the relationship at the center of it and Tarantino directing it would be as you, know, you wouldn't get into the relationship as much. Right. Like because yeah, because Tony Scott's early stuff was very much like like high Hollywood, you know uh blockbuster you know it, it was top gun it was days of top thunder gun, yeah um and then days of uh, thunder th that's right th this movie is a bit of a transition for him because like like you can see the glimpse of what he would do with the digital camera because like his his movies became almost gorilla uh in a way that this movie kind of is at times not not always but you, you know there are certainly moments of it where where, where there's this uh faster editing and, and things that you you know you can get away with the digital where it's like it, it feels fast and dirty um and uh he did the it, hunger too wow i forgot all about yeah. that with david bowie as uh, uh the vampire yeah, yeah, yeah and then all this leads to domino 
Yeah. <laughs> Which I think I think is the apex of his uh of that, oh, that clearly that, you know that, that kind of digital style that, that he uh evolved to. But like I said, you can see the seeds of it right here. This isn't you know this isn't fully formed later uh uh, Tony, you know, Tony Scott, which I think probably uh, the first one where he really get closest to, to that would be uh, Enemy of the State a little bit later. The, which the, we uh, talked about on the, the conversation episode, because of course we did. Like, yeah, well, it's a pseudo sequel, so, you know, yeah. you, you got to bring it up. Yeah, it's absolutely worth uh, bringing it up because, it, you know, don't get me wrong, conversation is a much better movie. Um, but but don't uh, take you think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But oh, one of the one of the best gone. movies of all time. That uh, yeah, 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 it's okay. The Coppola kid is getting good. Yeah. <laughs> Have you yeah, heard about this? Scott, you heard I'll about this you. guy? Have yeah, you heard about this guy, Francis yeah. Ford Coppola? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, sounds familiar. I don't know. I, I yeah. I just thought it was a horror director. I, I think does he have something with wine? Maybe I don't. Yeah, yeah. That must be it. That must be it. Yeah. Yeah. What was what was the, I feel like we we saw a deal like he was talking about a deal or something where you got if you bought a certain amount of cases of wine you would get like a signed um I don't remember if it was like a signed poster or something like there was Orson something Wells would show up at your show and do the Palmasan commercial as a live By the way did you did you see that that you definitely saw it, the meme that I shared that Absolutely was like, did. that's why I yeah. said it yeah <laughs> And then Orson Wells would tell you how you need to buy the the game Dark Tower and I was victorious <laughs> Ron, there was a there was a meme that's you know the the Palmasan um uh uh Orson Welles commercial the commercial where he gets split. just hammered yeah. yeah so somebody someone made that but it was like the cryptocurrency ones from the Super Bowl oh, like ah cryptocurrency <laughs> uh, we shall mine no Bitcoin before it's time <laughs> what's funny is is uh, Kane is right underneath True Romance in my list so. I'm sure Wells is super happy about that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, so Ron, what? All right, so, so so back on track. Enough enough with that nonsense. Tony Scott, like I think Boris had a good point about it being like this would be a wildly different movie if it was Quentin Tarantino's True Romance. Not a uh, not a not a big romance guy that Tarantino. Yeah, academically, I think he is, but I yeah. think like he's. Again, just, just I mean his direct I mean his literal directing style. His literal directing style yeah. is, would not lend itself <laughs> at all. No. Uh so, so what what do you I mean this is because this is what are your favorite movies, right? So Ron, what do you how do you feel about that? <sighs> about Tarantino being having directed this? No, 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 no. Like I'll, I'll, I'll boo earns. Yeah, no. yeah. Well, well clearly <laughs> I'm talking about like what Tony Scott brings to it, right? Like, I think that he adds the the visual style that needed to complement the what was on the page um tarantino has never been like while he while he does have his own certain style his style is borrowed from other people most of the time because tarantino at the end of the day for me is a much better writer than he is a filmmaker i will say hateful eight and i know you hate that movie but but uh <laughs> just the way i'm full of hateful for hateful eight um <laughs> you know but the, like the, the the long shots of the scenery uh, in that film uh, I think I think really was something that that's very different from a typical Tarantino film, and, and I really enjoyed the fact that he tried that. I'm not gonna. Um, uh, was it successful? That's a whole other discussion. But uh, yeah, I look at Hateful Eight more like somebody filmed a stage play and put it out as a movie. And um, I dig it, but I totally get that, and I agree. And I I also <laughs> had already seen the film when it was called The Thing, um, but that's a whole other th other thing. Um, 
but I think Tony Scott was on the, like you said, he was on the verge of doing some, his own thing with the digital filmmaking, and and he was able to add the flash and the dare I use a fancy word and say panache that was needed for this film um, that I think Tarantino never could have done, never could have. This, to, to this day, this is my favorite Tarantino picture, hands down. And, and you and you watch and you watch through it, and there's a certain there's a lightheartedness that doesn't just uh, take you away. I think. With the you know the music and the um, just you know the dialogue and stuff like that, but the, the bright colors I think adds to it. Like the fact that kind of it's shot in the style, the style continues for the entire movie. And you see these bright colors, and even when things are like horribly. I mean, the only scene that's really like dark and kind of and and this I guess is a good transition to the second scene that we wanted to talk about being uh, you know slightly problematic or hard to watch. Mm-hmm. The you know yeah, think I'm a uh, bunch of white dudes on this show to fucking talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> So when so when uh, Dennis Hopper is the dad and uh, and Christopher Walken are and you know that's the first time that trailer is really the first time that it kind of gets this dark kind of gritty look to it. But besides that, I think the entire movie is shot with this really bright, vibrant. You know, the colors are bright, the sunlight is there, and even when it's um, kind of a moment of horrifying violence, like uh, you know James Gandolfini as uh, as Virgil, not Virgil Texas, but Virgil. Brooklyn, I'm gonna guess. Um, <laughs> you know, you like being the shadow of her, there still is this kind of bright, like the hotel room itself is brightly colored, and you're kind of still um, reminded through that like stylistic uh, interpretation, I guess, the aesthetic of it, that you're watching a movie, and it's not quite, um, you know, as horrific as as it would be, I think, if it was shot by Tarantino. Yeah, I, I, I also you, think like, that. Into it. Yeah, that makes. Sense. I also think that if Tarantino had shot this, there would be a whole lot more like retro kind of, I hate using the word retro but I think that there would have been more like 50s and 60s standards being used on the soundtrack as opposed to I mean who did the soundtrack Hans Zimmer wasn't it oh god or Brenda uh, yeah and I and didn't want just, to rev Conan up just just yeah, just yeah. yet <laughs> yeah and it's plagiarist Hans Zimmer badly. yeah and oh, but it's like I, but I mean there would have been the the soundtrack would have been completely different if Tarantino had done it and yeah, there's only one of his musical cues that was actually used in the film, but yeah, ahead. and and so, but no, I know, but, but yeah, <laughs> but that's what I, what I mean is like if you you know it, there was I, I keep forgetting which one it was which was it Django where there was like modern day rap in a an 1800s yeah. no it was like Rick Ross Rick Ross put out a track for uh, Django Unchained yeah it's like that's. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. I mean, uh, I'm sorry, but like when I watch a Western, I don't want like, and that'd be like watching, watching the quick and the dead and somebody decided they were going to just throw in Unforgiven by Metallica because, I mean, Hey, this will work. That, that was kind of, that was kind of a gimmick, right? Cause you're watching a, like a, um, kind of a, a slave revenge picture. Like, you know what I mean? Like you're watching something that didn't really actually happen in this way. So, you know, Tarantino, once again, is kind of tweaking history. And within that kind of adds this this gimmick, which is the Rick Ross song that like they literally they promoted during this as like a music video. Oh, he's got his own. He's got his whole his own universe, because I think I think in the uh, Eli Roth's character in Inglorious Bastards is the grandfather of a DJ that's in Death Proof or something, or I forget what it is, but they mention like the person's grandson or whatever. And then the cigarettes, what is it? Red apple cigarettes or whatever, keep showing up. And, and so he's got like his own universe. I thought you and... were going to say that. I thought you were going to say the, uh, the... <laughs> this is going to yeah. be a fucked up joke. But, but I'm, I mean, sorry. It's... I'm sorry for making this joke, but I thought you were going to say that Django was the, uh, was the guy that, that slept with, um, 
<laughs> with with uh Dennis Hop or with uh Christopher Walken's great grandfather. <laughs> hey, I'm 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 dark and I'm <laughs> fucked up, but even I know when to, to not to cross that line. <laughs> That's uh I was just gonna say I think a better example for, for music would have been like if they used synthesizers and an 80 sword and sorcery movie starring Rudger Hauer. Andy World, everybody. <laughs> Can we can we transition into the hitcher now? Because the hitcher is awesome too. Yes. Uh, wow. All right. So <laughs> I knew oh, I, I knew I was going to get this show canceled for some reason. Yeah, I think, yeah. I, I was going to say you, you seem you seem bound and determined to do so. Uh, all right. Well, we're we're talking around the scene. I think we should address the scene. Yes, let's which, be as white as possible in a Sicilian, the Sicilian scene. The Sicilian as scene. As it's named all over the place. No, I, I think that so there's context, you know, as 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 there is whenever anyone drops you know yeah. a hard it, it, like, it make some racist row. joke. Oh yeah, there's context. You missed the con- uh, did we did we really miss the context? Okay. Well, no, it's not so Tarantino <laughs> claims that the character that Samuel L. Jackson plays, that's like, you know, the, the guy that's talking about eating pussy at the beginning, is actually based mm-hmm. on on a guy, himself? yeah. Big, oh, so, so he claims that Big D was actually a real person that was like a. It's not a biographer, really. I, I really see myself <laughs> in that character. <laughs> yeah, I can. Okay, and like I'll totally eat ass. Uh-huh. Yep. Uh-huh. <laughs> so he claims. So in in this commentary, he claims that Big D was a, a surrogate father figure to him, the actual guy, and he sat him down and said to him, "You know what? Uh, Sicilian women slept with with black guys when the Moors invaded, and that's why Sicilians are so dark." And he claims that that's my a, father had that conversation with me. <laughs> so he claims that that's an actual conversation, and that's where he got that from. Um, that's the context that he claims is is, is used for that. <sighs> it's, uncom- it's an uncomfortable scene. Are we about to listen to him explain away the sequence? I mean, yeah, it, it is pretty. Definitely help. Yeah, it is pretty funny. It's a pretty funny. You keep expecting him to note that it's uncomfortable, <laughs> and like, and and he probably shouldn't have put that in there, and he doesn't do it. So there's like four minutes of him explaining right, this. Let's, oh my god, four minutes? Okay. Yeah. I'm not gonna count do the, the drinking thing. I, I won't be able to count the, the sniffs. Just count yeah. the sniffs. I'll just count them. <laughs> wow. All right. Here we go, people. This. Tell Luca to go outside. You know what? Is um I, I um one of my proudest moments uh, <laughs> of my entire career uh uh this scene the scene actually kind of the speech the sicilian speech came about uh in real life through two friends one was um uh we're kind of badass older black guy that was uh kind of like um there's my mom and then her best friend was a woman named jackie and she was uh she was black and she was like my second mom kind of you know all you know through my entire childhood and teenage years. And she had a brother um, who was no longer with us anymore, who had spent some time in jail. And uh, his name was um, Don uh, or uh, uh, Big D was actually his uh, most commonly used nickname. And uh, Big D has shown up in uh, a lot of my movies. Uh, Sam Jackson's uh, little bit. It mostly got cut out by the MPAA uh, in the opening scene with Dretzel. He's playing Big D. Uh, that's his, if you read the script, that's his character's name is Big D. And, um, and he used to tell me 
about history and stuff. And he told me way back when, all right, I literally when I was about like, you know, 10 or 11 or something like that, about how uh, uh, the Moors conquered Sicily and how the Moors were black and they start fucking the Sicilian women and that's why uh, Sicilians look the way they do today. And I never forgot, I always thought it was kind of interesting. And uh, I think this scene, I, I think a case could be made <laughs> that this scene is almost too good. All right, it, it's, 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 you know, uh, you know, every once in a while, it might not be the great best thing to have like the best scene in the movie happen. You know, uh, uh, before uh, uh, before the midway point. All right, you know, uh, uh, actually, I would actually say most other movies probably couldn't even survive a scene like this because this scene would just be so much better than anything else in the movie that you know you'd want to go home after the scene was over. True Romance is so much fun and lively in the way, and the actors are so good in it and everything that actually the movie survives the scene. All right. Um, and you, you know what I'm talking about if you've ever watched a movie and it has this great scene and you kind of know you're never going to see seeing that good again. All right. Uh, you know, Truman's actually, I mean, the fact that almost the fact that Truman's can survive this scene is actually a testament to Tony and, and the actors in the film. Um, and, uh, but, and what I'm saying about how good I think this scene is, I'm not talking about me really. I'm, I'm, I mean, it's, um, this is like, just a completely beautiful, I think, four-way ensemble between what I wrote, the way Christopher Walken played it, the way Dennis Hopper played it, and the way Tony Scott directed it. I think it's 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 uh, just a four-man thing. And um, it, and was wild, except for the little, except for the little. Uh, uh, um, they have one little improv in in, in the scene when. Uh, Dennis Hopper calls and uh, uh, says, you know, you're part eggplant. And then Christopher Walken says, well, you're a cantaloupe. All right. That was a little improv bit. But aside from that, everything they said in the scene was scripted. So much so that, I mean, Christopher Walken has so much dialogue in this. And I almost got embarrassed the first time I saw the scene. I almost got embarrassed because almost he remembered he memorized every line. Oh, for fuck's sake! <laughs> never once addresses the fact. <laughs> never once addresses the fact that this could possibly be the most racist bit of dialogue. Committed to film since Birth of a Nation. I knew I knew that was the one that you were going to use too. <laughs> I was almost embarrassed. I was almost embarrassed because yeah, almost <laughs> because Christopher Walken memorized every line, every yeah, line of the scene. That's why. That's why he was embarrassed. Exactly. <laughs> uh, this motherfucker. This is uh, just just before we came on. I saw a picture of a guy who got this gorgeous cost you know cosplay of Moon Knight. But the person who made it screwed up and made the 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 um. Oh. <laughs> and literally, like, like I'm just imagining Quentin yeah. Tarantino looking at that costume in the mirror, going, "Nailed it!" It's so good. It's almost too good. I'm almost embarrassed about how good it is. <laughs> I really, I really like also that he seems very awkward when he first goes into that explanation. 
He's like, this is uh, um, uh, one of my proudest moments. One of the proudest moments I've had in any in any film. It's just so <laughs> it, could he, totally, he, it could totally ruin a movie because it's yeah, not this good. one though. It, because it's too good. Exactly. Do you think this is like the sunk cost fallacy? Like he's he's just like he's just gonna double down on it and like it's gonna be like, well, it's Quentin. What are you gonna do? Like I mean, like no, I think I think that you that can was, also say nothing. Just don't be like. I think yeah, that's crazy, Django right? Unchained. J Django Unchained was Quentin Tarantino doubling down and being like. Let me see how many times I can put the N-word into something. And yeah. you know what? No one said anything yet. Let me try to do it more and see and see what the line is. See if there is a line. I'm waiting for him to just his last movie to be like N-word the movie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> just to like, be like, all right, they didn't say anything about true romance. They didn't say anything about Django Unchained. I'm going, I'm putting all my chips in, okay? I'm putting all and, my and, chips in. And the, and the and it's a superhero movie. Edward the movie. Yes. And the superhero is a white guy. The oh. superhero is <laughs> with a with a with a fucked up Moon Knight cosplay outfit. <laughs> the abbreviation is SMDH, and that's what I'm doing right now. <laughs> Lloyd Kaufman, I know you're out there. Can we get this movie made? Because <laughs> if anybody's gonna put it out, it's Uncle Lloyd. By the way, no. I want to. I, I need to say this because it happened last week. Um, the the whole thing with Joe Rogan, right, where somebody put together a super. Yeah, let's, let's get to, let's go to a lighter fare like Joe Rogan. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, somebody, so somebody put together the super a super oh cut God. of how many times Joe Rogan's used the N word on a podcast on his podcast, and it was a lot of times. And one of them, he was he was like, "Listen, I was defending. I was I was quoting Quentin Tarantino." <laughs> Which then he goes, yeah. "All right, well, why is he using it?" <laughs> <sighs> oh mercy yeah i don't i, I mean like the, i think the only way we can go from here is to show the moon knight costume in question because i think that's the thing that we should do <laughs> yes um i so concur let's uh, let's let's, let's I'll, I'll do that forest but now everyone's fucking quiet all right <laughs> <laughs> i, I want to well so after after showing the moon knight costume um I want to I want to talk about the other the other kind of weird thing in this movie, which is the Gary Oldman performance, um, where he's just kind of playing a guy that thinks he's black. Because this movie kind of dives into that a lot of times, right? It's like, well, you're black because you're Sicilian, kind of like you know what I mean, like because of your ancestors. Gary Oldman's literally a, a guy that, and he uses the N word too a couple times, by the way. So um, Gary Oldman is essentially J Rock from the Trailer Park Boys. There's there's a lot of characters that have kind of been that. I mean, you know, Spring Breakers too. James Franco in Spring Breakers is exactly like yeah. Gary Gary Oldman's character, but he's kind of playing riffraff in that movie, which I hated, by the way. I I I I have such a love hate relationship with that director, but mostly hate, and that was definitely another in a long series of hate. That it's amazing that you could have uh, attractive women scantily clad murdering people and like make it boring to me. But you know, whatever. That's me. Uh, other people Way to screw disagree. up America. <laughs> <laughs> the principles that we found is I can't fucking pull this. I can't pull this up, man. I thought I, thought I was going to be able to pull this up. I'm like, sorry. Whatever. I'm, I'm, I, trying, I'm, I'm literally trying to pull up the group. Okay, it finally pulled up after I like admitted defeat. It finally pulled up. So let me let me freaking do it. Jamie, this is totally not going to be worth it. Yeah, exactly. Can we, can, can we get a Gary uh, number three? Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> uh, where is it? I just watched him in Darkest Hour for the first time. And at first, you're like, wow, it's a really good Churchill. And then you can start to just see Oldman coming out through it. <laughs> it's like, oh, wait, no, no, he's going to say this isn't British Boy Day. 
Nailed it! <laughs> wow. We'll just, we'll just, we'll just wow. leave that up there so we can so we can get an entirely different audience for this show. Yeah. Peacemaker, <laughs> Peace, Peacemaker's father in Peacemaker is ashamed like, of that. Ah, too much. <laughs> Gary Oldman is Churchill. Gary Oldman and Churchill is, is is fucking you know confronting confronting the German army, and he's like, "You must have thought it was it was German Day. It's not German Day. Is it is it, is it German Day, Roosevelt?" And he's like, "It's not. It's not German Day." <laughs> <laughs> oh, I would have liked Darkest Hour more. <laughs> <laughs> right, maybe we'll get that in FDR American Badass. I haven't seen that movie yet. So, yeah, maybe. So, so, so to be clear. <laughs> That's a sack of shit, right? That like explanation is a sack of shit, right? We're all clear on. Oh, 100%. That, like, yeah. yeah. Okay, there's, no, right, there's, right. No, there's no real big D. He's like, it's, it seems like his big D, right? His Samuel Jackson character is a lot yeah. like uh, 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 John Wayne, or not John Wayne, fucking um, Elvis in this movie. I thought of John Wayne because of uh, Preacher, but uh, <laughs> Elvis in this movie, right? Where it seems like maybe, maybe Quentin Tarantino has like a hallucinogenic black guy that shows up to like talk him into being like. <laughs> To be like, to be like, no, use man, the word. Everyone, everyone loves it when you use it. They're like, people love to hear it. <laughs> I was just is, quoting Tar- Quentin Tarantino, which is kind of does sound like the real uh, Samuel Jackson because he's the only person that has defended Tarantino's liberal use of the N word. Well, but- <laughs> he, 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 because he keeps getting a paycheck of his career. Yeah, I mean, like, let's be clear, fantastic actor, but uh, you know, come on. Uh, yeah, like, he wasn't going anywhere before Tarantino. I mean, he wouldn't you know. have gotten the hitman's bodyguard if it wasn't for Tarantino. Exactly. The star turn. <laughs> yes. The the most vocal um critic of and it's kind of funny that, that Samuel Jackson's been in both movies, but um the most vocal critic around this time of Tarantino's use of the N-word was Spike Lee. And uh, you know, Samuel Jackson has that role in, in Do the Right Thing, where he's the and, uh he's and, DJ. And, and um uh he's got a good role in um um Shoot that that one I just watched. Uh, what about jazz music? Because he's the one who beats up uh, Denzel Washington at the end. How dare he beat up Denzel? All, all that jazz? I don't know. What? what no, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> yes, first he's defending it's Showtime. Uh, something <laughs> blues. God, what is it? Mo better blues. Mo better blues. First he's That's defending right. Tarantino. Now he's now he's beating up Denzel Washington. What the fuck, Samuel yeah. Jackson? It's, it's, <laughs> it's a whole scene in that one, Lay. All right, so this is this is another weird. There's more than enough discussion of that. Let's talk about literally anything else. So, <laughs> this, is, this, is another, this is another very weird clip, but I'm done with. Andy, do you have an unrelated clip. '80s sci-fi movie to bring up? Great. Oh, uh, besides Jungle Fever, no. All right, props. Up. Look what I've done. <laughs> I bring up True Romance. Look what I've done. No, I will create a monster. Say- Nobody wants to see Marshall no more. <laughs> <laughs> want shady. I'm chopped liver. <laughs> oh man, here he is, Al Jorgensen. <laughs> I must have thought it was White Boy Day. <laughs> I met Tony uh, Scott, the director, and he said um, I hadn't read the script, and he said I got this really fantastic script. He tried to explain the story to me, and he said, "Look, I- I'm not very, uh, I'm not very good at this." He said, I, I don't know how to explain the story to you. I said, well, look, forget about that. Who's the character? And he said, well, he is a, he's a pimp and he's a, a white guy who thinks he's black. And I said, okay, I'll do it. You have yourself an egg roll. We got everything here from a little I Joe to damn if I know. I worked with a sound guy 
on the last movie I did, who had hair just like this. And I thought, well, maybe dreadlocks, you know, like a white guy is like trying to dread his hair. Um, and uh, I had this lens and this scar and the teeth and that. I just kind of put it all together. You know, he could have rejected it and he said it's too much or lose the eye or the teeth are good. But um, anyway, uh, I think two yesterday was the first day, I think. Um, and he just looked at me and said, uh, yeah, 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 great. So check the boots out. We're going to need They're not my idea, but. Well, hold on a second. Big D, you saying you eat pussy? Yeah, motherfucker, I eat everything. I eat the pussy, I eat the butt, I eat every motherfucking thing. Yeah, right? If I ever did eat some pussy, I would never eat any pussy, right? But if I did eat some pussy, I sure as hell wouldn't tell no goddamn buddy about it. I'd be ashamed as a motherfucker, man. <laughs> Nigga, you smoke enough sherm, your dumb ass will do a lot of motherfucking things. <laughs> well, I was working in uh, New York, and uh, we were filming in, um, I think it's, is it Williamsburg? Yeah, in in, in Queens or, or Brooklyn? Yeah, can't, I, I'm not sure. And um, we were at the, you know, the campus, the trailers were out on the street, and uh, there were these black guys hanging out. And I heard this voice and I thought, yeah, that's, that's the guy. So I had a tape recorder and um, I said to him, uh, yo, yo, come here. And I took him into my trailer and I said, do you mind if I tape your voice? So I taped his voice and then um, I just wear headphones and I just listen to it and, you know, and then I work in with these great guys. So, you know, you're, pick, you're hearing the rhythms and, the, you know. I know I'm pretty. <laughs> so Gary Oldman is bringing random black men into his trailer off the street. Mm-hmm. And okay. The, the I'm thought sure, of, I'm, the I'm thought, sure he wasn't the expecting. Of him, the thought yeah. of him being like, hello, would you come into my trailer for a second? I need to record your voice. <laughs> it's just some random black guy that he's never met. That was just hanging out outside of something. Method acting as a Uyghur, yes. <laughs> That's- which, which again, coming from Oakland, like, believe me, especially actually not in Oakland, but in the suburbs. And like, once you get out of Oakland, about 15 minutes, it's like, oh, yeah, you don't need to do method acting for, for that. You can just take the Bart. <laughs> I actually there are when I went to high school, there were and middle school. There were plenty of people just like that. They, they yeah. for whatever reason, they adapt adapted to uh, or adopted rather the, the that culture, and they decided yeah. that they had to be that way. It's like, why don't you just be who you are? I'm sorry, sorry, I can't be cool and afford my Charlotte Hornets uh, jacket like everybody else has, because apparently everybody in Racine, Wisconsin, are fans of the Charlotte Hornets. <laughs> no, I mean, listen, we're I, talking I, about I, it more and more. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, grow, like growing up in like the age of hip hop and stuff, like there's so many white kids that take on those affects and. You can tell yeah. that they kind of got that from just kind of watching, you know, like rap videos and, and people on like, it's not like they're getting that from people in their life. They're getting that kind of from a weird connection to like pop culture. So can I, we I, also I, talk about, though, how amazing Brad Pitt is in this movie for as little as he is? See oh, how yeah. I'm trying to ver- venture away from that stuff <laughs> yeah. and get to the stoner Brad Pitt stuff? Ron no, Percy actively a, avoiding the WeGrow discourse. This is a this is a problematic racial ep- episode of Movie Night Extravaganza. Uh, you know, this is uh this is all we talk about. <laughs> Top four, four white guys from, talking about. We have, so, so, we have everything from Little Eye Joe to Damned If I Know. 
can I can I sum it up and say his role in this is great. That dude is a real dude, and I think Gary Oldman does a great job portraying it. However, the w- weird way that he got there, and the less said about it, the better. Except for the fact that he's definitely James Franco's dad from Spring Breakers. Yeah, no, hundred <laughs> percent. Which is canon. Which I'll call Spring canon. Break. Yeah. Spring Break forever. <laughs> but yeah, Brad Pitt. So first of all, uh, he's not in this. He's barely in this movie. But worst roommate ever. But you remember him. <laughs> You, know, you remember? Has, yeah. Oh, you remember? You remember every line he says is solid gold, solid gold. Every one of Don't them. condescend what, what, to me, man. I'll fucking kill you, man. When the, when the mob comes around, like looking for his roommate and their friends, and he offers them like a bong hit, you know, like fantastic. Like this is this is this is the great the great American character. And anyway, it's like, solid, it's solid comedic timing. Like the the timing. I mean, I don't know whether that's. Uh, Tony Scott as the director kind of, but like the pacing of it um, and kind of where the scenes appear are perfectly timed for it to be like these kind of lighthearted, funny, funny moments where it's like all of a sudden the guy, you know, James Gandolfini shows up and is like asking him stuff and he, he doesn't want to smoke with fucking Brad Pitt. So Brad Pitt's like, don't <laughs> condescend to me, man. But then it's followed up right after that by like the most brutal, disgusting scene in the movie. Yeah. yeah. So it's like this interesting thing where, where the comedic timing of the, the placement of these scenes which is not where Tarantino um, uh, had written them. I don't think like they kind of changed around the, the, you know, because they, they had different parts in different places. So like you get this kind of lighthearted, lighthearted, lighthearted scene where it's like, Oh, that's really funny. And then all of a sudden it's the most disgusting, like brutal part of the movie. That feels like Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I know we were talking about this before, but Michael Rappaport is quite possibly the most annoying character in the movie i i want him to die at the end um and he's it's a, funny he's very oldman in real life <laughs> he's, ah. he, well the no, thing i think like that cracks me wine mom who's drunk in real life you ever see his twitter he's just like yeah, yeah. but, but not says, in this movie no fuck trump <laughs> well he well his big thing though is now he'll call up and harass random uh staffers on the howard stern show as a way to stay relevant like one of like his uh, Howard's media producer was a, is a big Bengals fan. Went to the Super Bowl and they lose. And he said out of nowhere he gets a voicemail from Rappaport saying, "Oh, you fucking piece of shit! I'm glad your fucking team." I was like, "What are you doing? <laughs> yeah, what is is your life that shitty that you have to call people who are like sea level celebrities?" And <laughs> but, but but let's keep in mind this this is the same guy that like he made that one video where he saw like a weird cat in his backyard or something and was just like this fucking cat's crazy look at this cat everybody like it just seems like he's that he's literally that guy like he like he it, the internet has allowed that guy to become a presence and the fact that he is an actor is almost ancillary to the fact that he is absolutely that guy yeah no hundred percent and and I I really I really think it's funny also that he kind of blew up this like pre internet time right where it's like. You know, people like Snoop Dogg and, and Tupac were kind of big celebrities. And he realizes he's kind of like a star fucker, pretty much. Like, he wants to show up. If there's a bunch of rappers throwing a party, he's absolutely going to show up to that party. So he, like, showed up to some party and, like, met Tupac, like, right before Tupac got killed. And he's talked about it for, like, 20 years. Like, there's just been 20 years of him appearing on podcasts being like, yo, I met Tupac one time. And, like, <laughs> I'd much rather listen. I'd much rather listen to Snoop Dogg talk about how he was there for Pac's last breath. Because that's a far more interesting story. He, and much, he much other Michael Rappaport talk about Alicia. We don't go on, we want. 
Snoop Dogg. No, we don't. Had a podcast. And he went on Snoop Dogg's podcast as a guest and was like, yo, remember when I met you guys and I met Tupac? And it was like. They're like, no, we don't. We don't remember that. <laughs> yeah. Please yeah, tell yeah, us yeah, again yeah, yeah, for the yeah, thousandth yeah, time, Michael Rappaport. <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> I don't dislike him in this movie. I think he's good in this movie. Like I think he serves he serves the role. Yeah, no. Oh yeah, no. He serves his purpose, but he's still a crazy bastard who should have been shot in the face by which which Baldwin was that? I forget. Alec. No, it was oh uh, the big fat. No, it was uh, Michael uh, Penn. I'm sorry. Yeah, I get. Yes, Chris Penn. I get the I get the Baldwins and the Pens confused. You Chris Penn was a Baldwin brother. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's how little I give a shit about the Baldwin brothers. I, I thought you were thinking Tom Sizemore was a Baldwin brother because no, was, no, I know. But here's my thing though about Baldwin Tom Sizemore. Cousin? Maybe you can't have a war movie without and have it work without Tom Sizemore being in it. <laughs> it's just the way it is. And in this case, the war movie is uh, projected onto the wall, which I think is a neat moment. Boom. Yes. Right, so that, and like, totally Tony that, Scott, and totally because he they walk in, you know, uh, Clarence and, and uh, Alabama walk in, and then they're like, it's a little bit of an unnerving scenario, and then like you've got this war movie like playing on like the wall, right? And this is after like knowing full well as the audience that like, hey, cousin Balky's been made by the feds and is like working for them, but they don't know that. You almost think that like he's gonna find out, but they don't. And then you just have this like weird scene where like he's got this private security, one of which is apparently all cops are bastards. Yeah, Thor. Ooh, yeah. Uh, Thor from the uh, the, the Incredible Hulk movie from the eighties. Yeah, yeah. Oh, exactly. He was he right? He was. No, like he's that. he's uh he's Jesus. an ally of this. He's the A cab ally of this podcast. He absolutely is, and he absolutely is like shameless about it, and like Ooh, which, literally gets a bunch of people killed because. Of and, it. and I love that actor too, because because he's always phenomenal and everything he's in. He's that, just... That's when he hit. He, he would throw the he would throw the hammer to go run and get it. <laughs> <laughs> run over, pick it up, throw it again. But I love I love the. We can't afford to have Mueller come back to you. I love. We I don't love have that kind of budget where everybody's drawn their guns. And he's like, he's like, Lee, something you don't know about me. I hate fucking cops. And it's just like, no, no, just no. Like, I think, has to get it out there. I think like, everybody no, no, we knows get that it. about you. We pretty much understand at this point. Like, we, 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 we totally get what. Yes, thank you. But thank you for explaining your actions. We appreciate that. <laughs> and then as he's laying there after he gets all shot up, he's like, you know, help me. I don't want to die. Call quit. Now you're a pussy. Okay, that's great. Now you're now when when you're about to die. Yeah, okay. All right. He's like, oh, I'm bleeding. Call an ambulance. And fucking Chris Pound walks up. He's like, I'll call you a hearse. And it's like, that's like that. That's like that final fucking line, though, where like someone always has to be like badass and say like some line right before they fucking cap somebody. You know what I mean? I like, was waiting for it. should have been Schwarzenegger. I'll call you a hearse. <laughs> we, we also, I, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm going to be the guy. Let's call him a coward, not a pussy, right? Okay. Yeah. I'm sorry. I apologize. Okay, thank but, you. but I don't think I don't think that's really what a it was. A fucking coward then. I mean, you, like you you it's see fine. you see I, a I cop, you say you see a cop or whatever and you think like, "All right, well, maybe I'm bleeding on the floor, but that person's not necessarily going to like offensively shoot me per se." You know what I mean? Like so I don't think he's necessarily being a coward. I think he's just It escalates like, so quickly like, out and, and being like, "Yeah, oh, yeah." Like, yeah. Like it's it's clearly he's not thinking too hard about the consequences of his actions. He's coming from a very emotional place, which is the worst thing you want for a fucking bodyguard. Yeah. <laughs> like flat you out. Like, you don't I mean, know about me. I hate fucking cops. No, but so one. I remember. I remember watching this. For the that first wasn't time. on my. That wasn't on my on my LinkedIn. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. 
yo, you hired me and you said, do you like cops or not? And I said, I do like cops. That's why you hired me. But I got a yeah. secret to tell you. I hate yeah. fucking cops. I lied. <laughs> I lied. Well, I don't care. I don't care if you like having sex with cops. Do you enjoy them as people? That's my big question. Exactly. Exactly. Um, no, but so I, so the, the funniest moment that I still remember from watching this and I watched this, um, I've always been like a Tarantino fan and I didn't know necessarily about this movie. I'd heard about true romance and in like 2017, I think I watched, uh, I watched the Sopranos and watched it through and got into a really deep Sopranos deep dive. And I hadn't watched it up to that point. I had meant to, I finally got like HBO for a little bit or no, it was on Amazon prime. I finally like found it on Amazon prime watched through the entire Sopranos and then found out that James Gandolfini was in this and was like, I want more James Gandolfini and fucking Quentin Tarantino wrote this. Hell yeah. So I remember watching this and the thing that I remember more than anything else is that moment during the standoff where, uh, you know, you're, you're already watching like a really tense standoff between the cops and the bodyguards and everyone's pointing guns at each other. And then the Great mob, fucking, yeah. but then the mob yeah. fucking walks in. And what that, can, I remember, what I really remember turn just this laughing up? my fucking ass off the first time I watched this, just being like, Holy shit, like I completely forgot the mob was even a factor in this movie. <laughs> well, and that's an earned result, I feel. Like I feel yeah. like the the script is 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 tightly wound enough that like you're you're forgiven for forgetting. But then you're like, "Oh, right." And then the, and you see them in the hallway and you're like, "Oh, whoa. Oh my god." And then like you're like kind of like, "Well, what's that going to look like?" And then it's happening and you're like, "Wow." This well, is they build it, they build it up, they build it up with the mob for like most of the movie, right? Like the police show up, which which kind of makes it awesome. Like the police show up in the third, like the, the last third of the movie, right? Like there's no there's no uh the police aren't involved in the story whatsoever until Elliot gets uh you know gets covered in cocaine, which is a really funny scene. And just he's just balky, just call him balky. So so that so that scene, right? There aren't cops in this movie until then, and then you're kind of Put into this really really condensed dose of like uh interactions with him and and chris penn and like tom Sizemore, like that whole that whole sequence of it and that happens really fast so you're still thinking about that and not thinking about the mob and then the mob kind of shows up all all of them show up at fucking brad pitt's uh you know brad pitt's apartment now because you know with with michael rapaport but whatever he's sitting out sitting on the fucking couch and then they, they all walk Man. in and ask like oh where are they but you don't really think about that because you're given such a condensed dose i think of like the cops and and Clarence and these like these different characters and, and those almost... great directions, man. You know, just go down the road, make a right. <laughs> yeah, they're not even right good directions, but but he immediately yeah. snitches. Like the the thought of not snitching like never occurs to him. Like it's just he's an open book, right? It also just feels like he's not thinking. Oh, they're into this kind of caper, what whatever. Like in his mind, someone asks him a question, he just answers it. Like yeah, oh, just yeah like, man. Why, why, I know where they went. Like, why wouldn't you invite them in to take a hit off the ball? Right? Why wouldn't you? <laughs> course you would he doesn't, he doesn't I, need to ask them who they are or like why they're there or like you know whether there's danger involved they're like where'd they go and he's like oh man you just missed them they were they were just yeah, here they, i don't, they, I don't they know here, the they went over there then it's great <laughs> the one but, thing yeah. he remembers the one thing he remembers is where they went yeah yeah that, that's the thing he remembers yeah <laughs> I, I think the so so that since we're talking about the standoffs that has to be one of the all-time great standoffs right i mean like has to be like it's so impeccably it's impeccably plotted it's impeccably directed everything feels very earned as ridiculous and over the top as it gets like i mean if you were to look at the movie as a delivery system for that standoff scene you would not necessarily be wrong but it is more than that 
that because as far as ultra violence goes, uh, every bit of it is earned, which I think is fantastic. Yeah. Well, which which too uh, comes to um, uh, you know Tarantino's homage in speaking movies. It's very much out of like a Hong Kong uh, action flick. They always end with a mm-hmm. kind of standoff like that, a- and um, they kind of foreshadow. He's very upset bit. about, by the way, that people are saying, "Oh, these Hong Kong movies." That's where Tarantino got this. He claims he got it in his own head, and then the standoff movies came later uh, from I mean, Hong whatever. Kong. Fine, and I'm not going to make you guys watch him talk about that for five minutes. But he wants I, yeah, you to yeah, know I that. get it. I, I can. I, we can fill in the blanks ourselves. That's. <laughs> I mean. You, you know, you know what, whether or not he realizes it or not, like, like the, you know, Detroit being, a, you know, like such an Elmore Leonard go to and, and the standoff at the end being such a cliche to a Hong yeah. Kong action film. And, and I'm not saying this, you know, you know, because I like when he, he does that kind of stuff, you know, his his homages, because they feel very genuine, like love, to, you know, to it. He so, even will do the thing where he'll find like a Hong Kong film that he really likes and kind of like he has like some like lifestyle brand that he puts on it, but basically like gives it exposes it to a wider audience, which I think is cool as hell. Yeah. And that that's that's something that he doesn't spend a lot of time talking about it. And the only person I think of that is as Robert Rodriguez, honestly, but like the, a lot of people will just be like, hey, screw you. You don't have any money. I'm just going to take this stuff and go. The fact that he like legitimately loves these sort of like pulpy filmmakers and these yeah. pulpy films and yeah, like I, wants I, more people to see them. Like City on Fire is great. Uh, yeah. You know, absolutely. Uh, which, which is the big inspiration behind Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned uh, Robert Rodriguez. That's I prefer him to Tarantino, believe it or not. I th- oh, boy. So if it's if, so uh, in a shootout <clears throat> um, uh, between the two of them, I think there's more Quentin Tarantino movies that I like than there are Robert Rodriguez movies. But I think the Robert Rodriguez movies that I like, I like more than most Quentin Tarantino movies, if that makes sense from a qualitative standpoint. And I'm just I think I that- take my head and say yes. <laughs> well, it's an opinion, so you can't disagree. I mean, you just, right, right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, like, if I disagree with your opinion, that'd be like saying, you know, uh, well, I'm sorry you feel that way. Right. I mean, Robert Rodriguez is amazing. El Mariachi, like, you know, I saw I saw that when I was, like, first starting to learn how to do cinematography, and I was like, this is everything I wanted. This is, like, what my friends and I do, but better, <laughs> basically. And... And, you know, I love that he basically took the, the the opportunity to, like, quote unquote, remake slash sequel the movie. And it's like basically the same movie with a better actor and a bigger budget. And, and it's just like bold move, Cotton. All right. Well, I, my whole thing is, like, I prefer Once Upon a Time in Mexico to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But I have my own issues with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I know every a lot. So many people I know think that it's just like this amazing film. But I'm one of the people you don't who think Brad Pitt could have totally uh, kicked Bruce Lee's ass because I, you know, no, that's one of the things that I take umbrage with. <laughs> that scene is like I actually I love that movie and I freaking despise that scene. Another I thing despise- that bothers me though is Tarantino puts so much dialogue and makes things so long and stretches things out that he made the one B movie mistake to me that so many B movie filmmakers do to stretch the runtime of their films. When Brad Pitt's character is driving home, did we really need to follow him the entire time? <laughs> yeah, it's a brown bunny over here suddenly. Yeah, yeah, it's like we didn't need to see him going from. We understand he we would have gotten it. He's leaving the Hollywood Hills to his going to his trailer. We would have gotten that by seeing him leave, watching him pull up. You know, his Tarantino's movies are long enough. 
That's yeah, why but, I think this is but my enough favorite. about Drive the Movie. Let's talk about Tarantino. <laughs> yeah. But, <laughs> and I, how much fun to bet he makes drives like that because everything he writes is autobiographical. But um, apparently, yeah. Is, yeah. So this but is, that's this why this is where I drove my car. This is totally, I, I thought about this in my head. It's most like me when I drive my car. And and you guys need to see that it's most like me when I drive my car, right? And then. <laughs> and I really want to have a woman's foot right there, right there on the dashboard, right there, right there. So I can see it. <laughs> Mark the time, one hour, 28 minutes. Uh, I, big, big, I, D, big D was the one that told me, right? Uh, he told me there's a lot of feet. There's a lot of feet in the world. And uh, you need to see all of the feet, all the feet, all the D, all the feet. You know what I mean? But that's what I think I love about this as a Tarantino picture is the fact that it's. It gets everything it needs to get in, and it's condensed. It's not big no, and don't drawn have a half out. Hour it it's just... not two and a half hours. It doesn't overstay. Yeah, well. there's, there's, there's something seat. there. Yeah. <laughs> it it also feels like we're kind of approaching a time period where, like, it's somehow seen as the longer a movie is, or the longer you're able to to stretch out a movie, right? Like the more art artful it is, because we're kind of the more important it is. Yeah, yeah. Like, because I mean, you look at like the Irishman. Like, I'm as we made the joke last time with the Irishman, where someone's like, "Oh, I'm still watching it." Like, it's still it, it is that long. Like, that's a long yeah, ass fucking movie, and it feels like it feels like the the formatting of films um in the last few years has gotten to the point where like filmmakers are like, "Let me see how far I can stretch this out," which is the opposite they should be doing when we're in a culture where pretty much everybody has ADHD. It's hard enough to sit through 90 minutes sometimes. I've actually seen The Irishman three times. It just like all the way through. I didn't take any breaks, but I also work from home and have nothing to do for long exterior extended periods of time. You have a so pee bottle right next to you. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah. Pee every time you see some de-aging effects. Oh man, we're peeing all day. Yeah. Well, <laughs> the medicine I'm on right now, it would totally be like, yep, all right, sure. <laughs> No, a perfect a perfect Twitch stream is you watching the Irishman three times, and you 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 streaming yourself watching the Irishman three times. Be like, send send in some uh, send me send me in some subs. <laughs> Give me some bits and some subs while uh, Robert De Niro kills Jimmy Hoffa again. Like, this jar is going to be sold on eBay. <laughs> there's a there's a really really there's a really this funny is quite the turn, and that's coming from me. Anyway, go ahead. I'm in a I'm in a <laughs> Facebook group called uh, my favorite Facebook group I've ever been part of. The rest of them are fucking disgusting and scum. And repulsive, but the one that I like is uh Martin Scorsese eyebrow posting, and a, a common joke throughout this movie or throughout throughout that group is that they would post these memes, and it's always like a like a young like a movie where someone's really young and they post the Robert De Niro de aging thing, and they're like, oh, this is this is when Robert De Niro started, and they pick a movie where he's supposed to be really young. So one of them was uh was the the flashback they had of um. Danny DeVito and it's always sunny when he goes back and and he and his brother are like fighting over that girl. So he's supposed to be 12 years old and it's still Danny DeVito, but they replaced it with Robert De Niro as a, with the de-aging uh, thing on him. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, he's 12 years old. <laughs> I don't know. So I found that, I found that funny, but anyway, true romance is a movie. Yes. <laughs> yes it is. In that movie. Not a lot of feet in this movie. Let me tell you. No, thank let me, you. Let's hear tell you know, Quentin know. did not direct it. <laughs> It would be funny if that's how he ended his. That's how he ended his like uh, whatever, um, like uh, writer's dialogue or whatever. He's like, not enough feet, not enough. I I would have I would have done so much more. I would have done so much more with feet. Alabama would have been running around barefoot, <laughs> just like it's, it's, he, doing in the real Alabama. If he had mentioned that the only thing that could make the Sicilian scene better was more feet, that would be classic Tarantino. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'll never get over. Uh, 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 it's just it's just too good. 
It's just too it's good. Just too it's good. just too good. I'm going to start saying that if I do something like just irredeemably terrible. It's just too good. I mean, it's just too good for people, really. Like I have I mean, certain tweets that good. I don't want to. I don't want to bring them back up, but there are certain tweets that I've made that have caused. They're just too list. good. You can't. Yeah, I mean, how could you? Just, my only problem with this tweet is that, you know, it could ruin another <laughs> Twitter account if it, if it wasn't my Twitter account. But because it's my Twitter account, it works perfectly. Yeah, it's it's too good. That's oh, it. That's why could it have ruined it? Oh, it could have ruined it because it was too good. It was too good of a tweet. It, it, it's just it's just, you know, I'm, I'm shocked that the rest of my Twitter feed uh, survived this tweet. Because it was too good. Because it was too good. <laughs> hey, Conan. Over there. Yes, Forrest. Do you yes. want to do letterbox one-liners? Why, Forrest, I would love to. Do Thank we you. want to do that, or do we want to talk about Hans Zimmer really quickly? I, I want to do that after letterbox one-liners. I mean, I don't have – I uncharacteristically do not have tons to say about Hans Zimmer on this one. Yeah, we, honestly, we I, I just feel like Hans Zimmer's uh, soundtrack's distracting until the very end, and then it's like, oh, he's trying to spoil the movie. <laughs> <laughs> to me, I would say – the charitable way to put it would be it's an homage to Badlands. Yes. That's the charitable way to put it. And I love Badlands is one of my favorite movies of all time. It's, it's my favorite Malik. It's one of my favorite movies. Uh, but it's so shamelessly Badlands. Like, it's like, that better be a motherfucking homage, dude. Because otherwise, yeah, exactly. Otherwise, David Bowie will juggle <laughs> some balls. I mean, at one, now that you say that, I was, I am kind of waiting for Clarence Worley to record a message saying, listen to your parents and teachers. They got a beat up. <laughs> good, good. How we not, by the way, have we not done Badlands? Anyway, whatever. That's a, that's a separate discussion. Uh, Hans Zimmer, you know, noted hack. Hans Zimmer. It's not. It's not as hacky more as more and more people are stuff. saying it. More and more, more people, are, people saying are saying it more and more. Exactly. <laughs> Me. I'm the person that's saying it more and more. But it doesn't matter. It still counts. Uh, you know. Again, it's it's. This is before he just gave up entirely and had his like support staff do it. But like, it's it's basically Badlands. It's basically Badlands. Like at least any of the parts that anybody remembers, uh, it, it's fine. It, it's it serves the purpose. It does the thing. Um, Standards were different in 93, right? 93 is when this came 90, out. 90. No, 93. 90, 93. 93. Uh, but is it great? Not really. But I mean, what, there's like three things Hans Zimmer's ever done that's been great, and he's been redoing them ever since. Thank you very much. Letterbox is a place for film, everybody. Uh, it wait, is wait, a. Quick, quickly, uh, Pulp Fiction is 94, right? I'm, I'm pretty sure. Or 90. Yeah, and uh, actually, yeah, uh, yeah. I think the next movie Patricia, uh, that uh, Patricia Arquette did was Ed Wood, too. I might have to get our fact check. Good ass movie, by the way. Good ass. Edward Ed is great. Edward Ed is, is. I have the I have the VHS. Objectively great of it. I have I the VHS you. of True Romance. <laughs> I believe you. I hope. Letterboxd so. is a place for film. Uh, open source democracy. Bottom up. Uh, it's the only social media network that I particularly care for. Uh, it's a place where film lovers get to talk at, with, and to each other about the films that they love or don't love. Uh, the best summation of which are usually quick, snappy little one-liners, sometimes funny, sometimes poignant, sometimes interesting. Definitely tops of conversation. Definitely things that we exploit for this bit, the letterbox reviews. These are the letterbox reviews for True Romance, everybody. Brad Pitt taking a fat bong hit, then asking the mafia if they want some is truly poetic cinema. <laughs> That's Aaron with Bond Mod. Only three and a half stars, but anyway, whatever. Yeah, but you know, still poetic cinema. Yeah, Ron, you can talk about these if you want to. Like, you don't need to just like. Okay, okay. E girls and their podcaster boyfriends be like. 
Dot dot dot. <laughs> a truly what? amazing one. <laughs> that one I guess I don't get that one. <laughs> that was for Forrest. Oh. <laughs> Two and a half stars. Two and a half. Well, they don't like they don't like e girls in their podcast or boyfriends. That's the thing. That, that's that's the thing. I guess the true romance was the coke we scored along the way. As it usually is, to be honest. CGS. CGS. I thought it was the not snitching. I mean, but that comes with the territory. But like, yeah, not, not like, snitching is love. Not snitching is love, but like you got you got to have the coke thrown in first. Yeah, no, no. My wife will love the cops for me. That's how I know she loves me. There you go. What what happens if you throw in a briefcase full of coke? <laughs> I will not see her again. No. <laughs> Don't condescend me, man. I'll fucking kill you, man. That's Groove Man. The, the, way, the way he says it, too, and I, and I fucked this up yesterday when I was saying it, he goes, don't condescend me, man. I'll fucking I'll kill you, man. Kill you, man. It, it's classic <laughs> stoner cadence is the best way I can put it. Do you think that was, um, like, inf- like ad-libbed, or do you think that that was actually in the script? Like the Either way, it makes the character. Yeah. Like and that way. really, and that really is all that makes the character. Who's on screen for like maybe like four <laughs> minutes for the entire film? You know? Yeah, fantastic. And uh, Tony Scott, Tony Scott, where, where was that Oscar? And there we go. Ahead. Tony yeah. Scott said that because Brad Pitt was such an up and coming actor, he really wanted to use him in this movie. So he kind of just like you know found a place for him and was like, thank God I found a place for him because he was doing like you know he was like this is an actor that's really going to go places and I wanted in with him. <laughs> was that uh, this was. Thelma and Louise was his first movie, right? Thelma and Louise's first big movie. His first, like was, his first movie that anybody cared about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that, that was his breakout role. Because because he and he was great in that. Thelma and Louise is a great movie. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. But by uh, Tony Scott's brother Ridley. There you go. Next. <laughs> <laughs> Tag yourself. I'm Brad Pitt asking the mafia if they want to smoke a bowl or whatever. <laughs> by the way it was real hard not to have the entire series of these be just some derivation of this because there were so many of them and so many of them were hilarious but it's like dude that character's in the movie for four minutes y'all yeah <laughs> but then also plays the pivotal role because the mob isn't gonna know where they are if he doesn't tell them honestly he's like the beetlejuice of this movie and also james gandolfini <laughs> wasn't... well james gandolfini wasn't gonna know where 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 uh you know where Alabama was until Brad Pitt told him, and uh, you know so it's like he kind of does play the pivotal role. It's very important to the plot of this film. Yeah, the original and, name of it was called Floyd. <laughs> <laughs> Floyd Romance. This was fun. Christian Slater is insane. Patricia Arquette is gorgeous. What else is new? No, <laughs> that's fair. No punctuation. That's fine. <laughs> this was long. <laughs> This was one long GTA mission. <laughs> yes. Well, they still uh, gave it four stars. <laughs> which, which, is a little bit, which is a little bit different than a GTA mission, which is where, you know, you teach yourself uh, how to argue and then you finally get there and, you you know. My kids to uh, Grand Theft Auto um, this weekend. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, here, hand me the controller. And like, like immediately I pull three <laughs> cops. I'm like, this is, how you play the game. this is how you play the game. You jerk. It's GTA <laughs> like, Super Bowl. Well, what if I just want to obey all the laws and then they like drive into somebody and like knock over three telephone poles. <laughs> Fantastic. If you want to obey the laws, you better fucking play the Sims instead. Yeah, go, go freaking <laughs> play Sim City. Jerk. Surprising. No feet finishes. Speaking hey, of jerk. Well. <laughs> 
Speaking of jerk, you know what I mean? Like, Four and a half stars. Well, you got to give it stars to the no feet fetishes. You, you really do. Uh, and those are the letterbox reviews. That's what the extra reviews. star was for. That was the extra star was for. <laughs> the letterbox reviews for True Romance, everybody. Letterbox place for film. Please follow the show, which is for us. Movie next extravaganza. I, of course, have Kona Neutron. Uh, J. Andrew World is on uh, there as well. Justice Andrew World. He hates fucking cops in his CV. Uh, and Ron Perti is actually on Letterbox as well. Oh, so follow him. Yeah, oh, we'll have to follow you. All right. Well, starting. Uh, I well, think Andy's got to do his. Uh, his, his yeah. Spiel right. Ron, Ron's, Ron's got to go in twenty minutes. So it's not okay, going to take him twenty minutes. I sure as hope it's not going to take him twenty minutes to do the spiel. Yeah, unless we can yes. interrupt him. But if so anyway. Right now. <laughs> One thing you don't know about I me, mean, Andy, I hate fucking cops. Right now, if you're watching us on Twitch, please subscribe. Um, and if you happen to be um, a, uh, a patient Amazon, man, <laughs> an Amazon uh, Prime subscriber uh, or a member, you can subscribe for free and that helps us out. So please do that. Now, also, uh, uh, later on, we're going to be on uh, YouTube. And uh, please like us and follow us there because. You know, um, people should have great conversations while they're watching this edited down version where they, you know, force has carefully cut out all of Conan interrupting everybody. Never done that. Yeah. There would be no show. It would be like the nonviolent version of True Romance that they did for TV. Yes. It's going to be like, oh, what a nice little love story. 15 minute long short film. Great. Yes. Yes. I'm not cutting anything out from this. And if my joke earlier about the Sicilian and Django Unchained, you know, gets us canceled, guess what? I've burned a few bridges. Someone say that it would get you canceled, not me. If you want to support, no, I said us meaning the show. If you want to support Conan and I, please go to the um uh, your um, new in your new show, Movie Day Extravaganza. Patreon. (laughs) (laughs) Please go to Movie Night Extravaganza Patreon and uh, subscribe there, and make sure you you put in the comments no uh, no forests, and and that way the money will go straight to me and Conan. Wow. Yeah, we've uh, we've kind of started a, a more of a an equitable situation with this if we do start making money, where you know the three of us are really put on put on the the art for it, which kind of sucks because I'm gonna get this canceled. <laughs> I mean, if any of us is gonna do it, I mean, it's thank me you, defending, Andy. It's me defending for five minutes why I said the n word that time and bringing up a character that has nothing to do with the story that I kind of just made up. And it was just too. It was just too good, right? It was just, was too, just good. too good. That's the problem. Is it was too good? Yeah, <laughs> it was almost too good. Thank you, Justice Andrew World. Appreciate you. All right. Well, we we need to get this uh, on the road. So starting with Ron, we do um we do this. You know, final thoughts. Anything you really want to say about the movie? Anything that comes to mind or that you didn't get to? Um, I think it's. Wow, what just no oh, putting me on the spot here. I think it's Oh, you've never watched the show? You've never seen the end of a the end of I've a... never caught the ending of the show. No. <laughs> because at one point I'm like, wow, this one guy's really racist. So I'm just gonna leave. Uh, <laughs> just too good. Every episode we do it's just too good. It's just, just too good. good. It's just too good, good really. Um yeah. I like I said, I think this is Tarantino's best best work. And I think he's a better writer. Like I said, he's a better writer than a director. He's he's in the same vein as Kevin Smith in that regard. Um, yeah, I'll throw. I'll do that. I don't care. Yay! Yeah, shots fired. Pew pew. You don't like ninety five percent of a movie to be shot in a convenience store. 
Well, I mean, I, I don't know if if uh, if Jackie, seven, Brown, Jackie Brown would have been better if them they were just sitting behind a a, <laughs> a convenience store shelf or whatever uh, uh, counter. But yeah, no, I uh, this movie uh, ever since I saw it, like I I I only watched it because I have a huge crush on Patricia Arquette when I first saw it. You thought so you were I saw her. And I, well, I, no, I don't care. <laughs> Feet are gross. Feet are gross. Um, and I, uh, I saw her in Nightmare on Elm Street 3 when I was really young and I was just like totally smitten. And then I saw that she was in a bra in this movie. And when it came out, I was 15. So I was like, hello. You know, so there you go. Um, someone's always watching the big TV. And so I can't get to Skinamax. But there's Patricia Arquette in a bra. That's right, Patricia. That's what I said. Um, and so, uh, because I know you're watching. I know you're watching. <laughs> she's an avid fan, Patricia Arquette, yes. He's no, she's watching for me. She's one of our she's 10 patrons. Um. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I, uh, I, if, if I had, do you want me to rank it? Because I'll rank it. I'll give it a number. One through 10, if All you right, want. Let's hear it. Let's hear I'll, your I'll, I'll, uh, I'll give it a 9.5. I give it. I I, I think no, it's no, a I have a question on the Richter scale or out of ten. Yes, for Jan, how many times James Gandolfini hit her? That's how many the Rick. Yeah, bad joke. She's but like, at least uh, mine won't well, get us I, I get a, you guys canceled. If if she had a little more feet, would you have given it the extra? Point? <laughs> I actually would have gone down in score if there was more feet in this movie. Yes. Okay. Yes, Conan. Let's hear it. So I will say that uh, somehow this anyway, is better. Anyway, this has been moving. <laughs> this movie is better than I remembered it. Uh, and again, like Ron is a kid of the 90s. I assure you I remember it very well. Uh, I docked I doc half a star for it for the egregious violence against uh, Patricia Arquette's character. And for the scene that we went into in depth. Uh, and I'm glad we addressed because you kind of have to. Because those are the two things that kind of was like, oh, oh, oh. Otherwise, fantastic film. I think it's not talked about enough that the first 15 minutes of this kind of, again, a little bit wish fulfillment. Apparently, it bums me out that Quentin Tarantino thinks that he's that character, but it works. And it is actually a great, like, romantic thing that isn't fit into the, uh, the stringent guidelines of what a meet cute looks like in 2022. I, I think it's the I think I really just took the the thing that Quentin Tarantino sees in that character is just like the autistic level, uh, just bringing up films to try to like you know what I mean, like being having, being a huge like yeah repository of a, a Wikipedia of knowledge, if you will. Of, but like even for, even further than that, like just connecting his personal interactions to filmmaking, sure. like you know what I mean, like it's like a maybe autistic is the wrong word, but like it's this kind of tweak almost, you know what I mean, where it's like it has to happen, like it's not like. Uh, that's the only way that he's able to really connect, which is why I think there's kind of like Ahmed in um in in, in community like. <laughs> yeah, so so I would say I like I think that that is an underrated part of this movie that people tend to forget by the time they get to all the action like later on, and for good reason because the action later on is fantastic. It's impeccably directed. Uh, everything is earned as we've gone over in, in uh, exacting and exhausting detail. Uh, but the cast on this is basically fantastic. Like everybody's doing. Great work here. Uh, Brad Pitt is the worst roommate ever. Uh, you know, <laughs> Balky is uh, hilarious as, as, as like the, the, the sleazebag dude. Um, Chris and Slater, this is one of his best roles. Like this is it's like this Heather's and pump up the volume for me. And I like, guess far as like, yeah, that guy's pretty rad, even though sometimes he is doing a Jack Nicholson impersonation. But not in this film and this film, he's classic leading man, Christian Slater. And I, I dig it. I dig it. 
Uh, and Patricia Arquette is she's the coolest. She's the best. Like this, this is this is a great Patricia Arquette movie. Like, and would it be better if she had more stuff to do? Yeah, but it wouldn't be this movie. And honestly, like she's fantastic in this. Like, how can you how can you hate a Patricia Arquette? I, and, I'm and curious. It feels like it feels like I think the first decade you could really have these kind of like nerdy nerdy leading men, right? Yeah. Like you could was like the eighties when it's you're kind of um seeing seeing a lot of a lot of like you know breakfast club movies like that where you can kind of have somebody that ends up being a, a big character that's kind of like this nerd but like it does feel like you're still kind of in the early early formation of this where it's not just like before the nerds movie. completely took over and everything that was cool about being a nerd was sucked out of it before like, revenge of the nerds baby no. <laughs> <laughs> just not getting canceled hard enough huh all right anyway um we wouldn't so, even cancel about revenge of the nerds have you not seen Revenge of the Nerds? I have seen Revenge of the Nerds. Okay. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I knew a guy so, that was in Revenge of the Nerds, and he's dead now. So, yeah, don't. You know what happened to him? He died. Uh, so, <laughs> don't don't sold that movie. The all right. So so yeah, I, I think uh, this this is a fantastic film. Again, only Doc for the two reasons that that I that I mentioned, and even then, still very enjoyable. Uh, that last action sequence is, I'm sorry, just utter, it's a ballad of ultra violence and I love it. And like, I get it. If you're not into violent stuff, maybe you're not into that thing, but it's, it, this movie does a lot of great things and it's a great fun, even though basically, basically it's a breathless badlands mashup. And I love both of those films too, but this is like, imagine breathless plus badlands plus Quentin Tarantino. And yeah, that's true. But the style in this, is actually pretty rad and I, I didn't notice it so much at the time because i was living in it right but like i was like no this this is a this is a very really awesome great movie with two incredibly problematic pieces to it uh and, and i think it's great and I'm, I'm glad we covered it i'm glad we didn't shy away from the problematic pieces of it i listened to an entire four minutes of tarantino explaining it you know it just was too good that's the problem with it, it <laughs> andy let's hear it I love the fact that you know this is Tony Scott, and and uh, he was shooting with film, so he, and he had somehow had such amazing like, you know, uh, depth with film. And I know since switched to digital, you know, the whatever. I'm not going to go on about focus, but but the the way he creates a scene with the haze and the, the like, there's there's layers to it, almost like like a, a great painting with chiaroscuro. You know, that's that's the way you know Scott creates a set, and and you know. Uh, the, the 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 bits of neon in the background and and all that stuff adds to such great atmosphere to make this truly a great thing to watch and you can't stop watching it um you know uh, i you know tony scott's never quite reached his brother as far as like pure beauty on screen but like this movie try just adding a you, couple aliens oh come on you know unicorns <laughs> with like slowly dropping down hey let's throw some fucking aliens in there so oh you don't have any aliens in your movie how can you expect me to enjoy this there's no fucking aliens no i mean no i mean What's like, like, black rain. Like, like look at black rain like how much prettier that is to this movie um but but the thing is though it's like like uh where ridley scott gets beauty tony scott gets atmosphere and that atmosphere uh just just is something that quentin tarantino has never been able to capture even in, you know, uh, probably his most atmospheric movie. And, and again, I'm going to bring up Hateful Eight. I'm sorry. 
Um, but yeah, it's, <laughs> I, I, I do when, think uh, Quentin Tarantino like, enters a room, he drains the atmosphere. The way that movie is shot, though, Hateful Eight is is truly the only movie that that kind of rivals um, True Romance as far as uh, visuals go. Okay, well, let me just say, as the sun sets slowly in the west, we bid you farewell. Thank you.